Hello and a very warm welcome to episode number 540 of the Minter Dialogue podcast. I am Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a most proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please go over and visit their site, evergreenpodcasts.com. First, I'd like to give a quick shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review on Apple Podcasts by Valingman. So this week's interview is with Sir William Russell. Will was Lord Mayor of the City of London 2019 to 2021 and is currently Alderman of Bread Street Ward. He's also board member of City UK, Deputy Chair of the Barbican Centre and a non-executive director at Augmentum Fintech. Will was a classmate and housemate of mine back at my time at Eton College where we shared many experiences on the sports field amongst others. In this conversation with Will, we discuss his fascinating career the influence of sports on his life, his appreciation of working for American companies, what makes an effective leader today, the important challenges of boards of governors, the impact of Brexit, as well as his experience in being knighted by the king. You'll find all the show notes on mentordial.com. And please, if you have a little moment, go over and drop in a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Will Russell, who would have thought? Oh gosh, how many years ago was it we we met? We were stumbling teenagers running around in in our school t- in tales, and uh, life has led us to well, it led you to have an extraordinary career. In your own words, Will, who are you? So who am I, Minta? Lovely to to see you and to be with you. And yes, who would have believed it uh, all those years ago? So I am uh, Alderman uh, Sir William Russell, and um, I'm an Alderman of the City of London. Uh, my career has, uh, uh, well, started in our in our running shorts, I suppose, uh, at, at Eton College and then Durham University. And then I joined the uh, financial services. I worked out that the best people to work for are the Americans, so first Boston and Merrill Lynch. And then uh, I decided uh, in 2006... Uh, it was time to do something different and um, did a lot around charity. So I'm a past uh, chairman of Prostate Cancer UK uh, and then deputy chair of Place to Be, which is a mental health uh, charity. But the big moment in my life was when uh, I decided to stand as alderman of the City of London. And we can talk about that a a bit more. I don't want to bore anyone, but uh, it dates back hundreds of years, uh, uh, the City of London and, and the Court of Aldermen is where they select the Lord Mayor of the City of London, and I was Sheriff in 2016 and then became Lord Mayor in 2019 uh, for two years because of COVID, uh, which was a huge privilege and an honour uh, and one of the oldest offices uh, uh, in in the UK, uh, dates back to 1189, and I was the 692nd Lord Mayor of the great City of London. And so it was also uh, a two two term stint, which is very rare as well. Yes, uh, as a, a, because of COVID, I was asked if I would uh, do another year, and the last time that happened was eighteen sixty eighteen sixty one, <laughs> and that was William Cubitt, uh, and many of the listeners will know that William Cubitt uh, built Cubitt Town down on the Isle of Dogs, but also developed Pimlico and Belgravia. Uh, he was from a wealthy building family. Uh, and 
uh, Lumeni asked me, why was he asked to do another year? And I say, because his largesse to the city, because you had to pay for everything yourself in those days, uh, was so great. They said, give him another year, whereas I was probably the cheapest law mayor uh, for many years. But the, uh, there are a number of law mayors who did two years back to back. But of course, the one, the most famous law mayor, uh, which is Dick Whittington, uh, did four years in total, but he did do back-to-back years in 1397 and 1398. And I never thought in my wildest dreams I would have anything in common apart from being Lord Mayor, but I had to, to have done two years like Dick Whittington. Absolutely stunning. So what does the Lord Mayor of the City of London do? I mean, it's it's obviously related to the financial sector, I would say. But uh, tell us, give us an idea of what was your life like? So uh, you move into the Mansion House, which is opposite uh, the Bank of England, down in the bank. Uh, and the Mansion House dates back to the sort of 18th century, was built because uh, the city decided that the Lord Mayor should have uh, his or her own residence. Um, but your, your major task is you are um, the ambassador for financial and professional services for the whole of the UK, not just the city of London. And I remind people that that employs about 2.3 million people of which two-thirds of those employees are outside uh, the the city of London. Uh, It's 8% of the GDP of our country, 11% of our tax take. It is a huge sector. In fact, it is the largest sector uh, uh, for for the UK, and and many people know financial services uh, has been a a critical part uh, of uh, the UK's success. And that includes the law and the rule of law is one of our greatest strengths. But it also includes the insurance sector, which sometimes gets forgotten. Uh, And that's 27 percent of the uh, GDP of the financial uh, of financial and professional services. It's a huge business and hugely successful uh, Lloyds of London. So you're 2019-20, we're we're post-Brexit. And I, you know, so much of the press talks about it. uh, the departure of all these European or, or worldwide financial services to European centers. What, what, uh, I mean, how much of that is true and how is the financial services sector being so strong uh, surviving this post Brexit world? So um, look, I, I was a Romania, uh, but I try not to be a Ramona. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but uh, Brexit hasn't helped us in my opinion. Um, uh, and as Jamie Dimon said, when I was Lord Mayor, he uh, and I did a, a, a had a meeting with him. Jamie Dimon said, "We love London. We think it's just London's great, but don't think that uh, the the Macrons of the world and other countries aren't going to just chip away." And I'm afraid that's what's happening. It was never going to be this sudden burst of where some people came out and said we'd lose eighty thousand jobs overnight. Um, I think it's less than ten thousand, but you can see this drift now. Uh, as everyone knows, Brexit was back in 2016, but we didn't really come out in officially until January 2020. Um, but you can see that, that there is a drift. Um, however, um, I'm not going to do London down because London is the greatest city in the world. And the key reason why I'm still optimistic about London and financial professional services is because we attract that global talent. And it's all about talent. And as long as we are attracting that global talent, uh, to to London, uh, then I think we'll be fine. However, I could argue, funny enough, and it, this will sound like a Brexit argument, but I could argue that 
um, we uh, even if we hadn't left uh, uh, Europe. Uh, London would have lost uh, a bit of market share because if you look at uh, uh, people's risk registers, how could you have so much of your eggs in the London basket, so to speak? So I always think that Frankfurt and Paris and other cities were going to start to to benefit from that anyway, that migration away. Um, the one that everyone's really watching is the London is the clearing. Uh, uh, but at the moment, even the big European banks are saying, you know, we can't do this. This is, you know, it, it will cost us and we'll be less competitive. Uh, and, you know, where has the talk about EU capital markets gone? And we all know about listings. It's not just London. I mean, look at Amsterdam. Listings around the world have, have dropped dramatically. Um, but I still think that, uh, that, that the London will survive. We've got a very successful fintech sector. We're still the tech centre of, 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 of Europe. Uh, and the investments in fintech are, are still higher than uh, the whole the rest of Europe put together. So, um, you know, it's not ideal, but it's not a disaster. So uh, I think we'll still be, be fine. But, uh, but you know, our competition will, whether, as I said, whether it's Dublin, Amsterdam, uh, Paris and Frankfurt will continue to chip away at us. And, you know, who would blame them? I'd, I'd do the same. It's a fair game. So you talked about the uh, ability to attract talent. It's a, quite a hot topic, the ability to attract talent in today's world. All these businesses are struggling to uh, attract the top talent because they're they're still not flexible enough or they're not providing enough amenities and foosball tables or whatever it takes. Um, what sort of talent uh, do you find that London is attracting? And in the financial world, fintech included, what about attracting coders? Because there's a lot of talk in the press about, well, um, Coders are, are well. Not not a lot of people want to come to London. These are individual, you know, people. We have to import talent from other countries. Clean this up. So, um, I'm, I'm not an expert on the coding coding thing, but but I'm I am involved in businesses that are based, uh, particular businesses. It's based in in Europe, and I mean the thing about the coders is they can code from anywhere. Uh, yeah. So London's an expensive city. There's no doubt about it, but. Uh, and many of our fintech companies have people working for them in, well, they were in the Ukraine, uh, but whether it's Bulgaria, whether it's Croatia, which has become a big uh, tech um, uh, talent hub as well. And obviously the wages are, are cheaper and all that. Um, but I but I think the actual, the, the ecosystem, and this is where I come back to, in London is unique. You don't, you have all the law firms, you have all the you know, asset managers you have, and, and, and you can, and there's a reason why, the likes of HSBC and Clifford Chance are moving from Canary Wharf back into the city is because they recognise that ecosystem is unique. I, I'm, I'm here in the city now. I could, I can, if I have a meeting, I just walk out of my door and and go and meet, uh, you know, one of the one of the one of the firms around the corner. And and I think that's worth a lot. The other thing I would uh, I would say is, um, you know, we have a history. Uh, and when uh, and that history is also worth a lot. And I always used to say Brexit. One thing Brexit can't do is take our history away. I mean, you know, people like the history. Look, we just had the the coronation. How many people, uh, uh, tourists, has that brought to the UK and particularly to London when they watch on television? You know, our wonderful king uh, and the coronation. So don't underestimate what I call that soft convening power. And I think. If you ask me as uh, when I was Lord Mayor, what is the thing you picked up, one of the things you picked up the most? It was that soft convening power of the mayoralty. You know, uh, people would come to the mansion house and, uh, you know, I'd host heads of state. I, host, I hosted Zelensky 
uh, in October 2021, obviously not knowing what was going to happen. So, you know, we're, we're part of the uh, sort of, gov well, not part of government, but the government uses us uh, as part of uh, the, the, that soft convening power that we offer when people visit uh, the country. And, it, and, it, and that gets replicated when you go overseas, uh, you know, whether it's to Kuwait or, or to Saudi or to, or to the UAE or many other countries. I mean, as Lord Mayor, in a normal time, and mine wasn't a normal time, you travel over 100 days of the year uh, promoting financial and professional services. So I, I, I think the, uh, the talent wants to come here. And the final thing I'll say about that is, uh, uh, and, and I'm deputy chair of the Barbican Centre, and I've always loved the arts and culture. Uh, and when I was Lord Mayor, I chaired uh, the commerce, uh, the cultural and commerce task force is commerce is beginning to realize that it, it, it's not just about coming into the office. And um, it, it's more than that. And each of these big corporations need to what I say, need to earn the commute. Uh, and it's about purpose. It's it, it's changed dramatically, Minta, from the days that you and I were working for financial services. Uh, and I think that's a positive. Uh, and I think that. Um, you know, many companies and uh, want their employees uh, to be uh, happy, to enjoy coming into the office. What else can they offer them? You know, look at out, look at all the whole conversation and the stigma that's been lifted about mental health, which there was no mental health discussion when you and I were at the coalface. Um, and, and so the world's changed, uh, and London is is able to provide all that. Uh, and um, and I think that's one of its uh, greatest benefits. I mean. I don't know. I'm sure you have probably been to New York recently. Um, I haven't, but everyone says New York is just a tip at the moment. And, uh, you know, London is got the new Elizabeth line. It's, you know, we're still, we, we do ourselves down. It's classic, classic, classic British sort of thing to do. We, you know, we, we, we actually need to be a bit more upbeat and recognise how lucky we are to have what we have. Well, that, that would be a good conduit to talk about why you said working for First Boston and Merrill Lynch, I worked at DLJ yeah. um, at the beginning of my career. Why, why did you say that was, uh, the, or the American style is good? I mean, they're in, it's well, not so always I, reputed that way. No, also in those days when we were all leaving university, we were trying to work out who, uh, who, uh, you know, who the winners were going to be. Uh, and you know, to be frank, who were going to pay you uh, best? And uh, I think the American culture is much more meritocratic. Um, and um, the, the UK banks, of which there aren't many left, if there are any left, in fact, uh, not the commercial banks, but investment banks. Um, you know, there was always a little bit, oh, we can't, can't pay uh, him or her that amount of money because, it, you know, they're too junior. Whereas the Americans would say, you know, it's, it's the American culture, which I appreciated. Uh, you know, you deliver, we'll pay you. doesn't matter how old you are. And, uh, you know, it was a very good time that you and I were in uh, in financial services working for the Americans. And they, they were that, that's how they worked. And I love that culture. Uh, uh, you know, diff, each bank's had different cultures. I was never going to be a Goldman's person. But uh, Merrill Lynch was a wonderful, wonderful place to work and uh, have lots of uh, many friends from there still. Uh, while I'm on the Americans, that's the other thing is that a lot of everyone predicted all these banks would open headquarters elsewhere. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I think many uh, JP Morgan's obviously opened a couple of big offices in Paris. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of the American employees and I'll regale a story. And I think it was one of it was one of the big Americans banks where they said, 
you know, we want to, said to a, a director, we want to move you to uh, Frankfurt. And the director said, well, that's absolutely fine. I'll commute. My family stays here in London. Uh, and, and, you know, that is partly the strength of London. And of course, you were you referred to Jamie Dimond earlier, who yeah. I guess was the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Is that correct? Or is he still? He still is very there much go. so. Got J.P. Morgan. I mean, he's a he's one of my heroes. He's incredible. Uh, he's a titan, and and he is a titan. And what he's created is, is extraordinary. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I want to follow on because uh, you mentioned this idea of purpose. And, and Will, uh, if I were to be entirely uh, frank, my opinion is that financial services companies haven't really figured out or remembered what their purpose, their genuine upper-lifting purpose is. Give me, tell me I'm wrong. No, I mean, I think it's, it, 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 different banks have different views. Um, but I do think, uh, funny enough, I mean, you will know, and I know many hedge fund managers who are hugely successful, who are below the radar, and their philanthropy is absolutely phenomenal. They just don't talk about it. Uh, and so I do think that we, there is a culture where those who have done very well successfully set up the foundations and help others. Um, uh, when I talk about purpose, it, it, uh, it's more around the individual rather than the banks, but the individual can then influence the bank or influence the company they're working for. And I do think that in our day, totally agree with you, it was there was a less sense of a purpose. But if you're going to employ, you know, some of these bright new graduates, they want to know that the company is doing more than just paying them big bonuses. And what else is there that they can do for the community for those, you know, a lot of companies uh, do get involved, uh, have a charity of the year, uh, but part of that involves volunteering so that their employees can volunteer. Um, I know that BlackRock does a, a lot of that, uh, and, um, and, and I think it, it has changed, uh, but it, the change has been forced by the new employees. They aren't going to get the best talent if they don't have more of a sense of purpose. So it's in their interest. It's, it's a bit like... Um, diversity and inclusion you know all the data is out there that the more diverse and inclusive your workforce is the results are better so why wouldn't you do it uh, so i think that that goes hand in hand so now that you know uh, data is so important uh, to look at um, i think companies have worked out that you know having more of a sense of purpose having better diversity and inclusion actually improves results and that's ultimately what they're looking to do yeah, there's a sort of sense of pragmatism to some of these, let's say, trendy topics like diversity, inclusion, and equality, or CSR, uh, corporate sustainable development uh, programs, or um, even having purpose. If yeah. if you can prove that it's useful, well, in the financial services, I can get that. Yet, I would say that doing charities isn't making your business, your core business, purposeful. It's sort of uh, like an uh, add-on that allows you to have purpose, but it doesn't, like insurance companies, for example, Will, in the past, their purpose was to allow for adventure, to allow for people to explore the world in a way that was financially possible. That was their purpose. That's a big old purpose. Today, that's you know maybe entirely lost in the small print. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you may be right. I mean, I think um, I, I look at the insurance sector and see how that's evolved over the last uh, 20, 30 years. 
into this huge sector that a lot of people now uh, go immediately to. Whereas I always remember at university, and no offense to anyone who's listening to this who's in the insurance world, but you know, you went to insurance because you know it was, it was a place of last resort rather than going into investment banking or or or, or doing other things around the city. But that's not the case anymore. I mean, you know. Uh, Marsh, McKenna, Aon, and all these great firms are recruiting some of the best talent. So, you know, the investment banks are competing with them now. Uh, but, you know, I, I know a lot of people at Aon and they have a great culture. Uh, and, uh, and, that's, uh, and, and they've had to adapt and change to, to, uh, to, to attract that talent, particularly female talent, because the insurance sector, who I'm sure they'd be the first to admit, didn't have a great reputation. Uh, but that reputation is changing and they make, they're becoming much more inclusive. Well, a little wink to my daughter, Alexandra, who is currently looking at insurance companies herself. Okay. So um, a big smile. So I've said so, the right thing. You can tell her that you didn't prime it. <laughs> Too true. So, Will, um, going back a little bit, uh, you, you mentioned uh, prostate cancer you worked with and your work at Barbican. You probably get I'm going to guess about one one a day, some kind of proposition. Hey, Mister Sir Was Sir Will, can you join this? Can you do this? Can you speak about us? Your position of influence, obviously, your network, what you do, and who you are, makes that an obvious request. But how do you sort through those? Uh, so, so I wish, by the way, I wish, and you built me up into this person who gets all these requests, uh, which isn't isn't the case. Uh, firstly, I'm not. I don't go looking uh, for anything. I'm a big fatalist, and I always think that you, something will happen, uh, and uh, and you'll just know. Um, and so that happens uh, uh, quite a, a bit. Um, but I uh, I do have a, I have a rule, and, and it drives my wife mad that on the whole I say yes to everything as far as meeting people because. Uh, when, 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 as Lord Mayor, uh, there were many occasions when w w one was speaking to groups of of young people or people or graduates, and they always would ask the question, you know, what is the your, you know the best piece of advice you can give us as we go forward in life? And I always say the same, and I've said it, I say it to my children, or have said it to my children, and they're pretty good at it, is that if you're invited to something, always say yes. Because you never know uh, when you go to that event uh, who you're going to meet, how they, how you could change their life, but also they could change your life, uh, and and yeah, that's really important. Uh, and now you know you and I were fortunate enough to have the education we've had, and we were brought up with what I call uh, a, a networking view. And you could argue that our old school is probably one of the greatest networks. That, that we've ever had um however uh, we that many people in the world don't have that luck and that fortunate uh, the, the, the 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 fortunate um uh, way that we were brought up um and and i think it, it it's really true uh, i think you know you you need to be out there and building your network if you look at back at history you know it's all about the network uh, and there's a very good book uh, which I read, and I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Ferguson wrote it um, about the network, and um, and it goes back in history. Whether it's the Romans or the Greeks, think about you know, you know whether they they didn't have the social media that we had, but you know whether they're going to the marketplace or the Roman Forum, you know, they were all networking. 
Uh, and and I think that's that's one of the pieces of advice I always give to people: is be out there, show your face, uh, and you never know what might come your come your way. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. So it's interesting you use the word fatalistic. I, I would characterize it uh, perhaps more positively being the yank that I am as opportunistic. Yes, yes. That's probably a better word. Yeah. And, and, and yet you have, you have to deal with choice because, I mean, for example, uh, maybe you're not getting a, a request today to join a board, but you're probably getting uh, at least a request today to be joined up on LinkedIn. And I feel like... While... <laughs> yes. yes, at least. Yeah. And, and that, that, then how do you select that? I mean, for me, what I have, I've learned is good networking is to network openly, but only connect with people, you know, and trust. So I think I'm beyond that stage in LinkedIn. I wish I could say, uh, connect, 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 only connect with people I know and trust. Um, I mean, I don't connect with everyone on LinkedIn, by the way, I think LinkedIn is brilliant. And I'm a massive fan. Um, and uh, what an acquisition by Microsoft all the, those years ago. Very smart. And it just gets better and better. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time that I even looked at Facebook. LinkedIn, for the world that you probably you and I are in, uh, is, is a huge tool. And when I, I just got re-elected as alderman of Bread Street, and rather than have a you know my own website, I just put every I linked in with all my voters and everything was done on LinkedIn, which was maybe not a huge amount of interest to other people on my LinkedIn, but, but you know, people know what you're doing. I mean, the number of times that I've met people and said, oh, yeah, I've got, I've seen you were doing this and that. So, you know, and I'm the same, you know, you can see what people are up to on LinkedIn without necessarily having to reply to them. It's up to you what you read. But um, so I'm probably not as selective. I am selective of, of that. Um but you know, I'm a, a, a and it, it, some uh, sometimes I think it is a weakness because the, as much as there are good people out there, there are some bad people too. But I'm basically always look for the good in people, um, mm. and um, that sometimes does come, and a couple of times has come back to bite me. But and in today's world, you have to be a little careful. Um, I'm, I'm I try not to be too cynical, but on the whole, I will give people a chance, um, and um, you can find out pretty quickly whether they're wrong ones or not um but on the whole uh, i always just just go for it and uh and see what happens but linkedin that i mean you you can see what's going on with linkedin is people just go for it across the board and want to have as many is it's a bit like instagram isn't it really mm. you want as many followers or linkedin members and then you can put other products out there so it's going to be interesting how that evolves over the next year or so yeah, you do get the feeling that it, it involves or it, it allows for more and more personal things as well. Yeah, which is not what it's about. Right. But, it, it, you know, as soon as you can allow a little bit more emotion into it, 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 it creates more engagement. Yeah. You're not going to show your, your dogs and your cats. No, no. I, mean, I think showing your, yourself on a holiday, that was Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and I, I see that more as Instagram. Or Instagram. But, yeah. yeah. But it's not LinkedIn. And 
on the whole, people keep to it, but you do get the odd one, and you see, yeah, of course, you know, mm-hmm. I think they've got the wrong platform for mm-hmm. whatever they put out there. So, 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 uh, Will, one of the shared things you and I have is a, a passion for sports. Yeah. Newly, of course, with the other game from those Spanish people, El yeah. Padel. But um, more specifically, you were an outstanding uh, sportsman and still are uh, during our school years. Um, and I was just wondering how you, what's your narrative as to what sports brought to you as an individual? So, um, I mean, it's a team ethic, really. Uh, I mean, I love, you know, as you, I mean, paddle, you're playing, and the, the two of you are playing a team. It's a smaller team, but um, I, I think it's that ability to work with the team. And uh, and when there's a victory, it's not down to the individual. It's about, it's, it's down to all of you pulling together. Uh, and actually that, is a very good segue into, you know, your job life. You know, when I was at Merrill Lynch and I was in, in charge of a desk, you know, how do you bring that team together? You work together, you be collaborative. Uh, and I think um, that's one of the great joys of, of sport. Uh, that it, it, it ingrains that into you. I always remember when I was interviewing people, I would always ask about sport and, their, and the team ethic because you don't want an individual joining your team. You want somebody who will slot into the team and work with everybody. Uh, and I think that's where sport is, uh, is a very powerful, powerful tool. And, and, you know, I love, and I was fortunate enough to see the women at the Euro finals uh, last year, but, um, but I love what's going on in women's sport. I just think that's brilliant. It's been far too long getting to where we're going. We've still got a long way to go, but I think that's hugely positive when I hear of, you know, uh, all these uh, women playing football. And I think, I mean, you know, back in 1972, women weren't allowed to play football. I think it, it's even during our lifetime, terrifying. Uh, or they weren't allowed to play on the boys' pitches or whatever it is. But, you know, so there's been a huge change. And um, and I think that's that's great. And so sport uh, does um, does bring that to the table, that whole team ethic. Yeah, and... and um... Well, you typically were playing larger team sports as in cricket and rugby. Yeah. 11 and 15, for those who don't know that sport. Um, and that, that obviously um, seems smaller on a paddle court. But I tend to think that actually the team on the paddle court is all four of you. And yes. at, at some level, sports is also entertainment for spectators as we get into it. And, and, and much like I, I've been approaching the idea of conversations where I am conversing with you, I also think that above us, you and me, Will, is a third third concept, like a meta. So what is our conversation looking like? And so when you're in a paddle court, you're playing with your partner, and you have these other two on the other side. It's, it's also about playing with them, especially, let's say, in a recreational space, to make the game for all of us better. Yeah, no, I, I think you can see that. It depends how competitive you are, Mentor, really. Uh, if you want, I mean, if you want to be absolutely ruthless uh, uh, and finish off the point, I'm sure on many occasions you can, but then there's a side of you where, you know, it's good to keep the rally going because it makes it more fun. So, yeah. uh, and, and if you're playing that sort of uh, uh, in paddle, you can have the mixture of that. Look, when I'm playing with Alistair against, um, when I play with my, my son Nicholas against Alistair and Ed, you know, we still have great rallies, but I assure you, Nicholas and I want to win uh, just as much as Alistair and Ed. 
Well, uh, this is presumably material for the Joy of Paddle Paddle podcast. And I would say that in Paddle, uh, my observation is that if you are trying to win too much, you can quickly lose because you're trying for the winners, whereas there's a sort of other side of just putting it back. Yes, the death touch, waiting for the moon. We we will see one another on a paddle court shortly, I am sure. So um, what about leadership? So obviously you captained many sides in your career in sports, and then you've had these positions of leadership in business and, and in public. How would you describe what makes for an effective leader today? You mentioned that Jamie Diamond was a, a, a hero of yours. How would you describe great leadership, effective leadership today? So, I mean, the, the obvious point for me is 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 uh, leading from the front and setting the example. Um, and um, I think um, that is uh, an important part of it. Um, and then I always use one word, which is communication. If you can't communicate, uh with your people then you can't lead simple as that so to me uh you know that is 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 the most critical so whether you're communicating where you want to take people whether you're communicating what the business plan is whether you're communicating so many things it is around community and, and also that part of that communication uh is the other word listening because if you want a listener then uh, you're in no, uh, you, you aren't going to understand your people. Uh, and, you know, we all could be better listeners. My goodness, I mean, I, I could be a much better listener. And it's definitely something where um, I, I try and work work at it because um, as if, if, if the phrase, if you aren't listening, you aren't learning. Uh, and, um, uh, and I think that, uh, or if you're talking, you aren't learning sometimes. I mean, it's the same, same thing. Um, so those would be the two things. I mean, you know, there, there are masses of books being written about leadership. Um, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of it's around personality. Uh, I'm always optimistic, enthusiastic. You know, you've got to smile. Uh, and uh, and the other, the final thing I'll say uh, on the leadership front is that, and I say this to many people, but if you're kind to people, when you need that favor, they'll deliver for you because but if you're if you're too hard on people and you upset people and today's world has changed from the days of you know cracking the whip you have to bring people with you in a kind way um because uh, to be frank um you know when you're trying to push on a particular area and you need their 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 help or their hard work running into something you're doing in a week's time uh, they aren't going to to, to they aren't going to uh, be there for you when you need them. You you make me think. Um, so you use the word kind in German, Kinder, the children, and I yeah. feel like that's the connecting tissue. If you if you remain curious, you you therefore will want to listen, ask questions, like a child, and 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 so being a kind person could include uh, someone who is able to listen. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And ask questions is critical. How many times have you sat next to, I've sat next to many people uh, in my career and particularly in the last five or six years and, uh, and, and Hillary and my wife has, and men I'm afraid are probably uh, worse at this than women. Uh, but 
she sat next to, uh, oh, at the end of the evening, I always say to her, so how was your evening? And she says, he knows everything about, uh, I know everything about him and he knows nothing about me. That is, I always like to leave uh, a, a, a dinner party or a, or, a, or a dinner thinking I know more about the person I've sat next to than they know about me just because I've been asking questions. I so agree. And the, and the funny or the ironic element uh, your wife was talking about um, is that more than likely that same man will say, oh, you're absolutely fascinating. I love you. Yeah. Having, knowing absolutely zilch. Yeah. Right. So um, leadership, uh, you talk about communication. And in, in this notion, there are several buzzwords that people like to use, like authentic and transparent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how do you qualify what is good communication these days? I mean, That's you, very... is it all out there? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I like to think I'm pretty authentic. You see what you get, and you know me well enough, and and I think you're the I same. The same. Um, transparency is an interesting one. I mean, I'm pretty mm. transparent. It's transparency is how much information do you ultimately want to disclose? Uh, in my view. Uh, you could, we could be totally transparent and put everything out there. Uh, sometimes that's not the right thing to do. Um, uh, but, um, but I think you have to be pr- more transparent than, than, uh, than obviously 20, 30 years ago. And you, uh, and, and people will push back and say, you know, you're telling me to do this, but you know, let's go through, can you tell me the reasons why? And they can question you and, and, the days of don't question me, just get on with it. They're gone, and you've got to explain uh, why. Um, and um, I think you're absolutely, and that's part of the transparency. Um, I think if you're too much of an open book, then that doesn't leave anything uh, else for uh, you know. You, you you just have to be careful. I'm I'm I, I'm pretty much an open book, but um, but that's more my style. But I'm sure there are other leaders who do it in a in a different way. Well, if if we look at the the issue of choice, because time is limited, listening forever, you never get anything done. If you're yeah. all you're doing is only listening, as opposed to making a decision or or as a politician stating what your position is, because at one point you actually have to get off the pot, yeah. and you know <laughs> you come out with it, and and then uh, when you're communicating with someone, and uh, you're you're not fully transparent or you're trying to be too transparent well there is a line and you need to know there's not just the legal lines but you need to know where that line is and how far you're willing to go and i think a lot of people are getting pulled into transparency because that's the demand and there's an agenda behind it and and uh putting that more explicit line at least for you how far you want to go i feel is is a key element of being authentic yeah, I think I think that that, that makes sense. I mean, uh, on the communication front, it's 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 it is it's a question of how how you want to communicate. Um, I mean, I still have a, a, a and call me old school, but I still have a view that if I get an email that uh, and remember, I always say this to people as well: there is no emotion in email. Uh, and now we've got emojis; there's a bit more emotion, I suppose. But if I get an email that is out there and I think is a bit too, you know, is, is a bit too rude or tough. I never reply to that email. I always pick up the telephone, always mm. have a call. 
I just think there's so much more you can, you know, you then you can understand the emotion and, and you can deal with it. Whereas on email, you can't. Well, I, I, the other maybe uh, and, and uh, other idea would be not to send immediately when you're hot headed. I don't know. I agree. With I never do that. Never do that. I can imagine. But you've mentioned several sort of, let's say, conservative ideas. That, and, you know, the challenge of today is we're going to get looked at like old men. But things like being present, you said you, you, want, to, you want to work and live in the city to be close and have, you know, let's see, the, yeah. the networking that's in person. There's, an, there's a, uh, a solid element of in real, in real life to that, as, yeah. as well as calling as opposed to the email. No, I think that's right. There is, definitely. I mean, look, I mean, I'm very pro everyone coming back to the office. Uh, I think Fridays is going to be tricky, but I think if we can get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, then that's a great result. Um, uh, but what's going to happen is businesses are going to, people who aren't coming back to the office, are going to realise their contemporaries are getting promoted and getting paid more. And, you know, if you aren't there and part of that, that that network and that culture of communicating face to face with 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 people then um you'll lose out yeah i think this is going to be one of the more grisly difficult issues facing business leaders for the next couple of years that's for yeah. sure well i wanted to um talk to you about leadership again but split down the idea between leadership and business and leadership as a politician I mean, I, I hope that's an okay term for you. Is uh, yeah, I mean, a very small, minor politician on the basis that there are politics within the City of London Corporation, but um, and I'm elected, but it's not quite like the politics down the road in Westminster. Right. Yet you. So where, where I wanted to focus this particular piece is. When you're running a business as a leader, it's generally all down to you. At, at least you must take full responsibility for everything that's happening in your company. Uh, even, uh, even though you may not be agreeing with everything, that you have to take responsibility. That is your, you're ultimately the fall guy and therefore the person who has the right to make definitive calls. In politics in general, as a leader, you have this kind of difficult two-wayness that seems to be more apparent than in business where you have to say, this is my platform. This is what I believe this is what I want to do. And then you get elected and and you, and yet you're trying to, you're trying to represent the elected popularly, the people who have elected you. So how do you propose and represent at the same time? Propose and represent. Well, I mean, you start off by saying when you get elected and having just recently been elected, saying things that you think you can deliver on. So on my recent election as alderman in the Great Ward of Bread Street, uh, which is just by Paternoster Square, um, the things I, I actually spent most of the time telling about the things I'd already achieved. And I wanted to be re-elected so I could continue to do those things, but achieve more. Um, so I, I do think... I mean, I, I like to think that I put things out there like, you know, I'm deputy chair of the Barbican. I hope to chair the Barbican next year. Uh, what can I continue to do around mental health? Um, you know, so I like to think that, you know, I put things out there that I can deliver on. And that's more my style. Whereas in today's uh, world of the febrile politics down in Westminster, they say a whole lot of things that they can't possibly deliver on. Uh, and um 
you know, and I think that that's, that's very sad. But, you know, you just have to look across the water and, you know, the Republican uh, candidate for president and, I mean, say a whole lot of things that can't possibly deliver on and says um, the whole way it works. So it, it, it has changed. So in a way, I rather like... Uh, I've always, I mean, I rather like in the city and, and, and the way it works in the city, I like the idea that, you know, it, this is small, small picture, obviously, compared to the global stage uh, or even Westminster, but you can, you can say things and hopefully deliver them. So it's, a, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier than the big politics uh, that, that other people are involved in, uh, which I've thought about many times and I assure you, uh, it didn't take me very long to say I'm not interested so no scoops on this podcast. <laughs> well, you know, the, the issue, I think, that is that generally speaking, democracy's under siege. And if there's no accountability possible, including through the media, uh, to hold politicians to promises made or things, statements said, and, and I understand you, I think you're on the board of, of uh, City AM or some no, newspaper? City City, City UK. UK. Yeah, not the newspaper. City UK, which is, uh, you know, is the association that deals with financial professional services for the whole of the UK. So. I see. Well, so let's um, talk about the work that you do when you're on as a board of governor. Because the, the issue, or generally speaking, is the board of governors is supposedly there to oversee the selection of the CEO generally um, over there to look at the longer term issues. And I was just wondering from your experience, Will, as opposed to the executive in, in the business, what are their main challenges and preoccupations facing boards these days? Well, gosh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, Sorry, maybe too vast. No, no, no. I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, I always, always think that um, sustainability in the environment is one of the big, issues for any board i think um uh you know the the state and health mental health of one's employees is is a very important uh, bad and and also um you know what where one is taking that, that the company going going forward um in uh, in an environment that is really very tough and getting and probably going to get tougher um and uh you know on the various boards i'm on uh and by the way i need to talking about that i've got a board meeting starting at one o'clock um but um then i think um you know you you it, it's it, it, there's, there are a lot of issues um geopolitical as well uh particularly if you're doing businesses in different countries and you know, gosh, I mean, when I started out, I mean, did you ever hear hear, hear about the risk register? Uh, and I haven't even mentioned cyber crime and the whole AI world that is going to change everything. And that's a whole new topic, which I won't go on to, but it is, it, 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 everything's moving so fast. Uh, and for boards, it's very difficult. And the risks are getting, uh, are getting probably greater. Um, and a lot of people don't want to be on boards because they see the risk being too great. Uh, the fiducial the fiduciary yeah, responsibilities you. yeah well uh, so you mentioned sustainability mental health and times getting tougher uh, in terms of tough conversations what about ethics is 
Is that a conversation? Because in my experience on boards, uh, Will, uh, I never had a conversation about an ethical framework. It, it seems to me to be an important one, a difficult one, but rarely discussed on boards. So, um, yeah, I think ethics is very important. So I'm on the board of the Barbican and we had a whole day on ethics mm. because it affects our people who work at the Barbican. It affects what artistic shows we're putting on, um, you know, where when we're funding, where do you get your money from? There are, there are ethics is a big part of the Barbican boards, uh, uh, you know, an area of focus for us. So I think it's, it, it is important. Mm. Well, a last question for you, Will, yeah, uh, sure. to let you in off on time. Uh, being knighted, uh, I'd love for you to tell us what that experience was like for you. Um, oh, it was an incredible experience uh, at Windsor Castle. Um, and um, I was fortunate enough to uh, be knighted by the king. And um, I definitely got it all wrong. I think I went down <laughs> two knees. And then you went to one. <laughs> and then when you step back you're meant to have stepped back four or five paces and bow and i stepped up and bowed straight away so <laughs> but as, as the king being as lovely as he is just so many of these things he wouldn't have probably even noticed it uh but um and it was lovely to do it with my uh so my brother uh who you know my is damien lewis my half brother and he got his cbe uh so that so and he was he was after me uh, I did, you know, being a, a bit of brotherly competitiveness. Uh, the knights uh, got theirs before the CBEs, so uh, that was, yeah, we smiled about that. One upsmanship uh, reminds me, Will, about uh, when I got married, and uh, so I was, uh, I got married in in Paris, and yeah. uh, in in France, I, I did um, a civic wedding, and the mayor asked me, "Would you like to get married to this woman?" And and so I, this was in French, of course. And at that time, I said "je veux bien," which I thought meant I want a lot. Mm. Je veux bien, and I I want a lot. And 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 it turns out that actually in French that means yeah, why not? So know your language, know your protocols, <laughs> brush up on your Shakespeare before next time. Will, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, how can someone? How can someone? Uh, you know, connect with you if they're so inclined or at least follow what you do. What are the best Link, ways? LinkedIn. Right. That is it. I'll put all that in the show notes, Will. Okay, brilliant. Look, looking forward to seeing you on a paddle court. Vamos, yeah. my man. Okay. Thanks Good again. Good weekend. Cheers. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show or would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on interdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Still I won't tell the lie
anticipating the thrill of your intellect Maybe I tell myself there's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man building an urge I'm a convinced man to live and die suburb A convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man, challenge my fate I'm a convinced man, competition's innate A convinced man, in the arms of a woman Despise revenges and struggle with deceit Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die I like the feel of a stranger Tucked around me Precipitating the danger To feel free Trust in my reason And let me show you why I'm a convinced man Practicing my lines I'm a convinced man Finds a convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man, me to the test. I'm a convinced man. I'm ready for an arrest. I'm a convinced man in the arms of a woman. Of news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.